Hello again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. This is our hot stove edition, where over the course of the winter, we have guests every other week that talk about things of a non-trouting nature. So this week, we've got Pat Bach of the National Weather Service out of Gaylord, and uh, we're going to talk about the weather. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This afternoon, uh, we have with us Pat Fox of our National Weather Service, who's headquartered out of our uh, Grayling office, and uh, as always, joined by my winter co-host, Richard Perry, and uh, excited to have you, Pat. What's happening with the weather? Well, uh, it's been pretty pretty quiet right now, John. Thanks thanks for having me. and uh, just we, our office is actually we're kind of between Grayling and Gaylord. We're our mailing address is Gaylord, but we're actually closest to the little t- town of Waters. So, so that's where we are. But we we are res- office that's responsible for the uh, northern part of uh, Lower Michigan and, and as far as in eastern Upper Michigan as well. There's a few other National Weather Service offices that have responsibility in Michigan. Marquette has the rest of the UP aside from the the eastern tip. Uh, there's an office in Grand Rapids that has most of southwest lower Michigan. Uh, uh, there's an office near Detroit that has the southeast portion of the state. And then there's an office in northern Indiana that's near Fort Wayne that has just a strip of counties at the Indiana and Michigan border. Awesome. Hey, Pat, just out of curiosity, uh, I guess we'll start with our usual questions. What? How did you end up? Uh, pursuing a career in meteorology and weather. Well, it was, it was it was for me. It was kind of a. I didn't follow. I mean, the exact path. If you t- if you were to talk to a bunch of meteorologists, most of us have a have a story. You know, like of either like a big tornado or a winter storm, a big snowstorm, blizzard, or whatever that that just piqued our interest. And we were, you know, from a very young age, we were. Uh, big weather weather nuts, and that ended up. You know, we we knew all along we wanted to do that. I mean, I I I've always been interested in the weather, and I did have some events as a kid. Um, I grew up in the Chicago metro area, and uh, did have a small tornado that, that clipped my parents' subdivision when I was like in first grade, and so that that kind of spooked me and. Uh, my parents were very early adopters. We had a weather radio at my house, partially for my uh, for my sake at an early age. So I was always listening to the weather forecast on that. Also, when I was a kid, we did have a big Chicago had a big blizzard as well, and that where we had you know snowbanks. You know, even even by the standards around here, they were pretty good. I mean, we were able to as kids, we were climbing up under roofs of single-story ranch homes and sliding off the roof probably wasn't the safest thing to do but it was <laughs> but it was it was fun um kind of different when chicago gets that much snow i mean with this the that part of the you know country that's we don't get a whole lot of lake effect snow there uh, we get the, which is you know the fluffier lighter snow we get more of the system snow which is that much wetter heavier snow so it's, it's kind of a different animal as far as driving on it and as far as trying to shovel it off Oh, absolutely. But anyhow, absolutely. But yeah, so basically, I was always I was interested in many sciences, but eventually, I kind of I was drawn to the. You know, I, so I actually had a hard time picking a major. It was going to be in a science field, but 
I was kind of drawn to the the public service aspect of the weather service. You know, the weather service mission is to protect lives and property, you know, from hazardous weather and water impacts. And so, you know, that seemed like a, I, I like the public service. Not only do I get to do the the science side, which is just interesting to me personally, but also um, get to do the public service side of it as well. That's awesome. That's, hey, do, do you guys, you know, I, I guess, how do you land in Gaylord? Is this a, do you request, is it like the service, you request to be stationed somewhere, or you work through a rotation, well, or? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's it's actually changed since I've been in. I've been in, it'll be uh, 28 years this summer I'll, I'll be in, so I've been around a while. Um, but... Uh, I've, I've hopped around a little. It's, it's not not exactly like the military where you, you, they basically stick you where they need you. Um, you when, I, when I came in, what they did was you, you told them, you know, which states or which parts of the country you'd be willing to go. And then as positions opened up, they would offer them to you. And you could say no, but that was probably not in your best interest to say no. Um, and I, when I came in, I didn't put the whole country down, but I, I did put, like, the Midwest, being from Illinois. And I got, I got a call a couple – Months after graduating, I, mean, I got, was offered a job at the the old Sault Ste. Marie office, which was that was before the Weather Service went through its current modernized state. This area used to be covered before Gaylord opened in in 1995. The Gaylord office opened in 1995. There was coverage for Northern Michigan was provided by smaller offices in Alpena, Sault Ste. Marie, and Houghton Lake. And uh, so my first job was up in Sault Ste. Marie. And I was there for a few years till that office closed down in the mid '90s, and then uh, came down to Gaylord as it, as that office took over. And so I was here for about seven years then. And then I went back to I was at the office in Central Illinois for about 15 years, and then I just came back here again a couple of years ago. So I mean, the way it is now, they advertise they do it a little differently. All all positions are advertised on like the national the U.S. Jobs website. You know, if you look for a meteorologist job, you'll see job postings that you can put in for it, like you know, for a specific location you know, that you're looking for. Oh, you so guys. That's kind of how what? it works now. You guys are what? General schedule civil service. Yes, yes, we are. Oh, that works. So you know, basically, the weather office is like our office has 22 employees, and it's a we have uh, most of those are meteorologists, but but not all of them. We have you know electronic technicians and IT people, and we have uh, have a, our administrative assistant. You know, she helps make sure you know everybody. She kind of runs the office. She helps make sure everybody you know all, all the stuff that needs to be done is done, and or everything's documented. But uh, but basically, you know, if you want to. Because the offices are small, to to get into if you say you want to to move up, you usually have to, you know you have to move to a different location periodically, because if you if you wait for the spot to open on station, you know you might be waiting a while and there's still no guarantee that you'll get it. So if you want to have you know as far as positions within the office, if you want to move up, you have to be willing to move around a little bit. Well, how many field folks do you have up there? Yeah, we have we have 22. They have, uh, um, like, like I said, most of us are meteorologists. We have two electronic technicians. We have one IT specialist for for all our computer systems, 
um, and we have our our administrative person. You guys run a pretty good information center, quite a lot of that uh, services. Um, yeah, I was getting some feedback there, but um, I think you were saying like what kind of th things we offer. What kind of things we offer uh, as far as you know, our primary duty is you know we issue forecasts and warnings for um, protection of lives and property in our area. Uh, but we also do um, well. You know, during COVID, we've been kind of largely curtailed with this, but we do offer. You know, we'll, we go to schools and you know do talk to kids about, you know, careers in science and about the weather. We, you know, we go to community organizations and also can do talks like that. Um, we, we work with, you know, our partner groups. Uh, you know, we work with emergency managers a lot. We work with the Coast Guard. We work with, you know, aviation community. Uh, we work with the uh, forestry, you know, with, you know, they have all the concerns with, you know, fire, uh, you, know, for, you know, prescribed burning within the fires and actually any kind of wildfire as well. Uh, so we, we work with that. Um, we do one thing. We've coming out of the pandemic is we've been trying to because uh, we haven't been able to go visit people in person. We haven't been able to have tours. Or you know, last year we had intended to have an open house where we have people out to the office so they can see what we do and see what kind of equipment we have. Because people are often interested in that, but because of the you know pandemic, we haven't been able to do that. So that's, uh, we're going to have to put that off. You know, indefinitely right now. Still, we we still don't know when things are going to be back to more normal, but we still want to you know be able to keep in contact with everybody out there. So, in addition to our web page and our you know social media sites where you can interact with us, uh, we we are starting to do some some virtual trainings as well. And in this spring, we have uh, currently scheduled four virtual storm spotter training classes. Uh, we'll see how we could also always add more. They're, they're going to be in uh, mid-April to mid-May. Um, the first one's on April 20th, second one's April 28th, third one's May 4th, and the uh, fourth one is the May 10th. Um, all of those were going to be from like 6.30 in the evening till 8.30 in the evening, except the first one on April 20th we were going to have from like 1 till 2.30. See if people want to do that during the day. Uh, again, it's kind of new for us, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. We could add more. We, we thought about considering a weekend day, too, to see if that would be something that would get attention. But it would be a lot of the same stuff we would do at an in-person spotter training class, but it would just be – just be online. Um, and if you go to our webpage, which is weather.gov slash Gaylord, um, there's a link on the top news area at the top of the page where you can see the list of the virtual Skywarn training and you can register for the class that way. There's, I mean, there's no cost. It's just just to get you the, the information link if you want to log into that. So, Pat, uh, it, that's actually a program that I was involved with uh, back in central Indiana. Um, actually led me to get my uh, amateur radio license uh, to take take part in the spring storm spotting activities with the weather service. Is that is that the type of opportunity that is available to people up here? Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of thing. We do have you know every we do have people in the amateur radio community that that uh, that join. Um, we haven't had. I mean, the weather, the summer, severe weather has been pretty quiet up here for a long time. So we have, in the past, we did have more. Uh, we had, we used to spin up a, uh, a, 
the, the ham ham radio desk, so they would they would call out to help us, you know, solicit reports during during severe weather events. Uh, when I was in Central Illinois, where we had a lot more severe weather, typically we always had a when we had a big event, we would have a ham radio operator or two in there that they would be calling around and, and soliciting reports that way. Um, we haven't haven't had as much luck with that up here, part, partly due to the 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 low severe weather rates, you know, having people ready to go and, and getting them in, but it's also just the the, the reduction in number of, of amateur radio pe- active amateur radio people up here that are interested in storm spotting. But we still do get some reports through that. Um, yeah, I, when I was, uh, I've had my, I'm not really active, but I do have my amateur radio license. I decided because I, I did a lot with spotter training and I was talking to ham radio operators all the time, I wanted to, you know, be able to, maybe not, certainly not an expert at, but I used to want to be able to speak the language a little bit when I was talking to them. Sure. So, well, for for folks that may not be familiar with it, what are some of the things that they would uh, learn and come away with uh, from a storm spotting class? Well, basically you go over the overall, like, you know why are we kind of explain why why do we need storm spotters? Like we go over like the limitations. You know meteorology is. I mean it's a, we're advancing every year. We're getting better, but there are still some things that we we need help with. Uh, and one of the things is you know having you know eyes eyes and ears at your location that's better than what we can see on radar or what we can infer from some of our equipment. So it, it, having trained eyes on, on storms is, is, is still incredibly helpful for us. So we can kind of explain why that is. Uh, we also, you know, go kind of go through the ingredients, you know, what do you need to make thunderstorms? Um, what are the different types of thunderstorms? What what types of severe weather can you expect with each of these thunderstorms? Um, you know, we go over the, like the climatology, you know, like times of year, times of day when things happen. Uh, we go over, you know, like definitions of severe weather, severe weather types, you know, what what is a severe thunderstorm versus a, you know, garden variety thunderstorm, um, things like that. Um, so basically, you know, it's just also, you know, we also go over like weather safety, you know, so things where you can, you know, how do you, you want to know how to stay safe from severe weather as well. Also, and then with, on top of that, you know, how, how, do you, how do you make reports to us? Because you know, we, 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 we train you and that's, that's good for you to know about it, but it's also, it's beneficial for us to make sure we're getting that information. So we let you know how to, how to get the reports into us. So we can use those to help. You know, you're you're kind of a, a partner with us, where you're helping, you're helping us do a better job, which in turn helps your community, and uh, you're helping us in our mission to keep people safe. You know, we've kind of talked about about spring storms and stuff, but uh, do you use your your weather spotters throughout the year for snow events or ice events or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, for any, you know, anyone who's lived up for up in northern Michigan for any length of time, especially if you're more towards the western side of the state, uh, lake effect is a, is, a, is a big thing here, and uh, and more than you know, more than any other type of snow, it, it's quite variable over short distances, and we don't have uh, you know official observations everywhere. So having you know, people give us good snowfall, you know reports is also, or ice reports or whatever, is, is very useful to us. And sometimes, you know, up here we tend to have more of, uh, you know, we tend to lock into, the, once we, we're in a cold winter pattern, we tend to lock into the snow a little bit more. Where our, our area, where I, my previous office in central Illinois, we, 
we we could have a we were tended to be in a part of a storm track where we could have all kinds of weather. I mean, I remember one of my first years down there. We had part of our forecast area was having heavy snow. Part of our area was having an ice storm, and the farthest southern portion of our area was actually in a tornado watch all at the same time. <laughs> so it was nice. kind of, you know pretty dramatic, pretty pretty dramatic. <laughs> so sometimes that's a good, another thing that's useful for spotters too is they they can let us know. You know exactly where that trend. You know we can have a pretty good idea where we expect transition zones to be, but when people can tell us when you know precipitation types are changing over from, you know, rain to snow or ice or whatever, and that that's also useful for us to to refine the forecast and and, and update as necessary. As things have evolved, you is social media more of a conduit for you guys than in days past? Yeah, so social media, you know. Is, is for better for worse, it's, it's you know it, it's it, it's important. You know we need to we need to get the information we can out. We get our information out there as best we can. Um, it's also a good way for you know we, we get a lot of, we get a lot of people to report to us that way. They, like they'll send us pictures, which you know were before it used, used to be a phone call, you know, or a, or a ham radio report, and you could you couldn't really see, but it's, it's kind of nice to see someone you know where they've taken pictures of a. You know, they got their ruler, they're stuck in the snow, or they take a picture of a hailstone with like a size reference, like you have a stick of coin or a ball next to it, so you can see right. you know, how big that really is. So yeah, so that that's definitely been helpful. One thing that we're up against though with social media sometimes is there's the, you know, the armchair meteorologist that you know they find something on the web and then they share it, <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, then it, it, it gets it gets shared around, and you know, and if you know, taken out of context and. Um, that can be not not necessarily a good thing where stuff gets out there and sure. it's kind of like you get the crying wolf scenario where you know well I saw that somebody said this was going to happen and you know we get told that all the time well you guys said this was going to happen like oh we didn't say that <laughs> somebody <laughs> may have said that but we, we but we didn't say that you know like one of the one of our tools we have are our weather models which are basically these computer simulations of of you know given the the weather data going into it, you know, the, the input data, what, and then the, the, it's using like math, math, math and physics to give you an output of what the expected forecast is over the next few days. And we literally have dozens of those different com- computer models to, to pick from. And, you know, it used to be, it, it used to be we tried to pick the best model for a specific situation, but now there's so many of them, you can't even do that anymore. So we tend to kind of, you know, blend them together a little bit to like, it kind of takes, it kind of gives you the best solution statistically they've shown. And what ends up, but what ends up happening is somebody on social media will find one specific model that like gives a, say a big snowstorm or whatever, and then they'll send out a graphic from that, which does, you know, is is not you know the proper context and not something that we would be comfortable sharing um, because you know there's a lot. Sometimes you will see a situation where you might have one model gives you two inches and another model gives you a foot, and the best forecast is usually probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but you know, you, if you, depending on what you're you wanted to do, you could you know share the share the wrong one and you know, give a lot of misinformation that way. So that's that's one thing we have to to deal with on, with social media is trying to try and give our best you know our best forecast out of what's going to happen and, and try, have to you know recover sometimes from some of the other forecasts that get put out by people who don't sure. really have the background. Oh, wow. So, so, yeah, go ahead, Richard. How closely coupled are you with, like, radio and TV stations? 
you know, because you hear like oh. Channel 24, you know, independent radar, yada, yada, yada. I mean, do they have their own weather uh, set up? Or? Um, well, the uh, it, it depends. Does he... I'm sorry, go ahead. Or do they depend on getting the information for you and then just repackaging it, or is it something they actually generate? Oh, there's a, there's actually a little bit of both of that. Um, now, we're, we're, since we're federal government, our stuff is, is it's you know it's public domain. We we do it and we put and we put it together and put it out. Um, and ever you know the general public or the media, they can all they can they can do what they want with it. You know, it's, it's more or less it's out there. Um, you know, everyone's paying for it with their tax dollars. So you know, we're doing the best job we can. We don't have we're not driven by you know advertising revenue or anything like that. We just we're, we have no. We have have no ulterior motive. We just do the best job we can. Um, now, TV, uh, they can do, or radio stations, they can, they can go, they can directly share our stuff if they want to. Um, you know, but the, you know, they also have, they have their own, in many cases, their own meteorologists on staff who might have a slightly different take on it. Um, they could also. Um, and then there's all they, they or they might want to they they sometimes they go through like a private company like say AccuWeather or or the Weather Channel or some other they can subscribe to those and those companies will you know package it to look exactly like they want to they'll like give them custom graphics and things like that where we're not that's not what we're doing you know we, we just we put it out and if you know if you, if you want to use it we have great but if you don't you know you generally have to find a, a partner in the the private sector that would customize and package it the way you want and sometimes you will have you know they'll come up with somewhat different forecasts like i said i mean there's so many forecasts out there sometimes people you know you can if you put a bunch of meteorologists in the room, most of the time we're going to be in the same ballpark. But there, but there, there is definitely room for for opinions or artistic license a little bit with some of that. Um, and so, depending on on who you're talking to, you might get different opinions. Well, I guess the question is, is it, you know, you look at all these weather apps and all these different venues and outlets. I mean, is it it's the same information or from the same source? It's just being repackaged and interpreted a little differently or is it you know independent stuff i mean if they all you know coming to these conclusions Thank on uh, the independent data yeah something can be different you know, and like i said i remember i said that we have access to literally dozens of computer models oftentimes those apps will run say off of one model one single model which you know it can be good but it could also be be you know not very good, so it it, it just depends, and, and, it's, and it's also not going to be the same in every circumstance. I mean, on one day, one model could hit a you know hit it out of the park, be right on, but another another day it could be completely wrong. So it's just um, it's just yeah, something we, it's, uh, you know, kind of the nature of the. And we tend to watch the Weather Channel a lot because I think that's what elderly people do. But uh, they talk about yeah. the European model and the domestic, or they. I don't know the other model. Where mm-hmm. is, you know why? Uh, I guess the question is how how viable is the European model and uh, you know on this side of the world. Um, there's different types of of weather models, um, and uh, the European the way they have it set up, it does work globally. And just like the, there's some of the U.S. models. Um, are also global models, and so they, they they can give you a forecast at any point 
you know, around the globe. But there's also what they call regional models, like they have one that, like we have a model that, you know, that only goes over, uh, I say the United States, the lower 48. Um, but then there's, then there's even like, there's even higher resolution models, um, which which are basically they, they, they show more precision. Uh, and those might only be over the course of like uh, the Midwest or the Great Lakes region or even smaller areas than that. So the, the models just run over a very small area. Um, and what you, the end result you'll get with those higher resolution models, you'll get what looks more, you know, precision. And if you like, if you look, if you, if you look at one of the high resolution models and see the the rain the rain output or the snow output, it almost looks like a radar image. And it, so it looks very precise. It doesn't mean it's going to be right. Whereas if you look at one of the global models and, like, say, the rain or snow that it's putting out, it's going to be more like this broad brush swath of, you know, you're not going to see any kind of real detail in the in the rainfall area. Um, but so it's, and those are generally the, the ones that are more over larger scale. That, you know, they, they tend to broad brush the rain or the snow a little bit more. So it covers probably more area than it needs to, and it also doesn't pick up the like the max, the real maximum and minimum areas as well. Whereas those higher resolution models are, they try to be more precise. They they don't always work. But um, again, that's part of the that's part of our training is to try and take these various types of. Uh, forecast data and, and and make the best forecast out of what we have given to us. When when you're doing that, Pat, and and you're interpreting these data sets that are coming in for you, are those are those skewed by events uh, like uh, a La Nina or an El Nino winter? Um, they can be. Um, like La Nina, you know, that is, uh, you know, we're, we're that's, I guess that's, that's a good topic. We're coming out of a La Nina winter right now. Uh, didn't turn out to be as, as quite as we were expecting for us locally, um, and that's that's part of the problem. Is you know, sometimes the when you talk about long range forecasts, um, there's you know, many different things that can impact you know the the, the long range forecast over you know the next several months. Um, the thing, but La Nina and El Nino, and that, was, that is a cool that's, that's looking at the ocean water off the equatorial Pacific, and like an El Nino is when that wa- water is much warmer than normal, or warmer than normal, and and then the La Nina is when that water along the equator is cooler than normal, and it's been shown through research that those patterns will impact the atmospheric circulation. And so, and and, the, and that water, those, that, those water temperatures are somewhat predictable at a period of several months in advance. So, when you hear about these these winter outlooks, or say based on an El Nino or a La Nina, um, they do that because that's the only thing we have that's really got a strong. Uh, it has longer than a couple weeks lead time. Sure. Um, right. So there there are, but there, unfortunately there are other circulations that can occur. Um, that we can we only have a you know maybe a couple weeks of of uh, outlook with those, and so if if one of those overpowers the the impulses from the El Nino or the La Nina, then that tends you know then it, it makes it look like the forecast wasn't good. Which I mean that happens sometimes. I mean I remember there's a, there's a, I forget what year this was now, but we had a it was a very strong El Nino, so they were we were you know forecasting you know this part of the country be you know. Warmer than normal, quite a bit warmer than normal was the overall thinking. 
Um, but what ended up happening was the El Nino was a little, it set up a little further west than it typically does. And so, and because it was further west, that allowed us to have more of those Arctic air intrusions in the eastern U.S. So it ended up being a really cold winter, even though originally it looked like it might be be warm. And so it's, it's a challenge, definitely. Uh, and we typically only talk about those in the wintertime. Um, even though they, they occur through the year, they don't have as much of a discernible uh, we, we don't have as much skill trying to apply that to uh, to the weather forecast, you know, for the coming seasons. The winter is the one where it seems to have really the highest, uh, per, 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 yeah, better than so, most. But it's, so coming it's, but it's off, still... go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, coming off no, a mild winter, it's really hard to make then a declaration that okay, we'll have a mild yet wet spring or something something along those lines. Yeah, well, we're, we are coming out of the La Nina now. It looks like within the next couple of months will be what's called a, the neutral phase is what looks most likely, which is basically it's not El Nino or La Nina. Um, and there's not a, again, there's not a real high predictability for us, but at this point it's looking like going into the spring here we're going to be uh, warmer than, at least uh, at least uh, leaning towards warmer than normal, which really isn't a stretch because we've been warmer than normal for a while, more often than not, with the exception of that, you know, a few weeks, those cold weeks there in February, the winter hasn't quite mild, and there's still a, still a signal for being at least slightly wetter than normal. Although with the that La Nina pattern was actually supportive of us being kind of wet through the whole winter, and that really didn't happen. As I'm sure most of you are, right. and most of our area has been pretty well below normal on snow. Um, and Gaylord, it's not out of the question. I mean, it, it, you know, again, it's lake effect, so it's quite variable. But Gaylord itself, we're, there's a chance we'll be record low snow here for this. Back, you know, we've had good records back to the 1940s, and it will be the least. There's a chance we could be the least snowiest year we've had for winter we've had when it's all said and done. That's amazing. Does <laughs> go ahead, Richard? I'm sorry. A warmer trend on climate climate change, or you know, I don't know. When we moved up here, we had it was colder than you know. We've been up here 12 years, and it was cold, a lot of snow, and then it's kind of uh, you know tapered off till I guess this winter is probably the warmest winter we've had since we've been here. But is that uh, would you view that as a cyclic thing? Can we expect more of those hard winters? I, it's, I think there's, you know, there's certainly we'll still have hard winters. Um, there's been, you know, definitely we've had some some milder ones of, of late, but there's still, um, there's still, you know, there's still a lot to, there's still a lot of opportunities for that cold air. I mean, as as we saw back in February, I mean, we, we there's certainly still cold air on the globe that can get in here. <laughs> um, and I mean that that was, I mean, pretty remarkable how how cold it was across the missed the whole lower 48 just about during that part in February. You know, just about the only place that was above freezing for a lot of the time was, you know, the Florida Peninsula but and a little bit of the West Coast. But yeah, was, so much of the country was below freezing. So, there's, I mean, cold air is around. I mean, things do change and things do go through cycles. I mean, there's definitely been a there's, there's definitely been a, you know, a, a warming trend. But, uh, Climatologically, but it still remains to be seen. You know exactly where we're going to be long term. Yeah. Uh, one thing is, up here we've had 
you know, our weather has been really uh, benevolent, I guess, you know, because if you look south of us, you know, I talked to my friends in Ohio or southern Michigan, and they're getting pounded, you know, they're getting snow, uh, ice, and up here, you know, we get four inches of snow, you know, we can barely justify getting a snowblower out, so is that between the lakes effect, or uh, just what is, how do you see that moderation or the source of that? Oh, like this particular year, the storm track overall set up, like that we talked about, the, the storm track tended to stay, you know, south of northern Michigan. So the, in the first part of the winter, the part of our area, which is being down around Houghton Lake, West Branch, they, they were actually the snowiest part of our forecast area for a while because we, we didn't get into that really good cold lake effect pattern. So the, the snow belt areas were not getting a ton. Um, and we were having these systems track across lower, southern lower Michigan that were, were bringing snow down there. Um, and we still ended up passing that. We like, I was just looking, Houghton Lake, West Branch, they're, they're like in the 45, 47-inch for the season, uh, which is which is still below normal, but it's, you know, it's it's, you know, it's, it's less than us. Like Gaylord is just over 70 inches for the winter as of this morning. And we we should, in a normal year we should be about 131, 132 inches by now. So you can, we're not we're almost half of normal for this year in Gaylord. So Pat, it, it, and I'll switch gears a little bit. Um, some of the other forecasting you do, you you kind of alluded to earlier, um, where we live in the in the river area and the the woodlands, if you will, um, mm-hmm. are, I, I sense that we may be having a drier spring and a, a little more awareness uh, in the wildfire uh, department. What uh, are are there wind factors or temperature factors that you guys use to issue a red flag warning or anything of that ilk? Yeah, well, typically. Uh, for the the fire weather program is is kind of if you were to talk to different parts of the country they all have it set up a little differently because um, the the fire weather programs are it's a it's a definite partnership between the lo- the local fire community so we work with the uh, the Forest Service and the U.S. Forest Service and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources and they came up with you know what is what they think is is useful for what are the, the most like thresholds for them. So typically for us, the you know the higher fire danger, we tend to need to have temperatures you know 70 degrees or warmer. Uh, if we have like your humidity's down you know 25 percent or or less relative relative humidity, and you have you know winds over say 20 miles per hour or so or frequent gusts, you know, that that's when we start to get really concerned. And also you know, the but we don't make these you know whereas you. Usually we, we might look at weather data and then put out a forecast. Um, but when we talk about the fire program, if we're going to do a red flag warning or something like that, that's in coordination with the, the land management agencies. You know, they they'll tell us, say what the what the conditions of the fuels are, you know, how dry how dry everything is. You know, they, they're looking at you know the vegetation. Uh, like right now, you know, since definitely there's it's something we are concerned about here in the, the next several weeks is because we 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 lost. Some areas, you know, it's, it wasn't that far off in order, but but a lot of northern Michigan, you know, we're losing our snow snow cover a lot earlier than normal. And I mean, not to say we won't have more snow. In fact, you know, 
we could certainly get decent snows well into April. So just because we're losing out doesn't mean we're done. But um, but certainly right now, uh, a lot of the snow is gone. I mean, most of the snow is gone, and uh, it's still too early for things to green up. So you'll you, you end up with you know real dry conditions in the forest, and you know that if the conditions are right as far as low humidities and high winds and warm temperatures, that's a that can be a real dangerous situation as far as fire risk is concerned. So that's something we're definitely watching. As part of that, and, and maybe a, a twig into something else, what is our traditional last freeze in this uh, region? Um, I think, not just off the top of my head, I think it's pretty close to the end of May. Um, okay, I know so as well, far as well like, past like, Mother's like, Day. Right. I know for for gardening around here, the, the, ten, the, the common sense is the you, you got to be really careful much before Memorial Day, um, and even you know you can your chances go down rapidly after that. But it, you know, it, it can happen, you know, into June certainly. Yeah, no, it, it just it, I, I know it, it, as mild as it's been. I think a lot of folks' thoughts are turning to oh, it'd be nice to put something, you know, go work the soil, maybe figure out what's going to go where, type of thing, and. Um, it's just interesting to know. It's, it is definitely different than uh, uh, central Indiana in, in that regard. Uh, yeah, no, hey. our growing season up here is, is not that long <laughs> compared to a lot of other places. What are um, what are some of the the new things uh, that that the public might notice that that you guys were involved with, Pat? Um. Just, I mean, just like I said, we're we're trying to do, we're trying to do more with social media. We're embracing social media, so we're putting out a lot more graphics. Um, like I said, we're trying to do more of this virtual stuff, and something coming out of out of this pandemic. We're trying to be more versatile that way. Uh, one other thing that the weather service has kind of moved towards, like where it used to be, we kind of just you know we would put together our forecast and push the forecast out, and you know. They, once they left the office, they left the office, and we didn't necessarily. You know, we would we'd look at we'd look back to see how how well they verified. You know, did we do well? Where could we improve? If, if it's a total forecast bomb, you know, what can we do to do a better job next time? So we we always look, we're always looking at that. That's called verification. When we issue warnings or forecasts, we always verify to see how well they're doing, and we use that for for learning for future events. But one of the other things we're doing now is we're working with. Uh, like the decision makers of like public safety, like county emergency managers, um, and anyone else that's involved in public safety, we're doing what we call decision support services. Where, um, like say, say a county emergency manager has has a real like a an outdoor event that's high. He's a potentially he's worried about a risk. You know, the, there's a high risk of you know a lot of people getting hurt if if something happens, and or they could have it. So they can actually ask us. We because that's part of the problem with weather forecasts is you know people sometimes misinterpret what it actually means, and so we want to make sure these. We, we don't do this for everybody, but it's just for like our government public safety partners. We like we can help them interpret the forecast to make sure you know we can give them. You can give them a best case scenario, worst case scenario. We can you know, give them an idea so they can. It helps them make the decisions they have to make to uh, 
to keep people safe. And so that, that's kind of how our services has evolved, where we're where we were more of a push push the forecast out before, but now we're also helping with like the interpretive part for the for the government agencies. When somebody from somebody like Richard or I pulls up the the web page and we see a thirty percent chance of showers, I guess that could take on several different meanings. How how is that intended to be consumed uh, when we say X percent of showers or something of that ilk? Well, there's there's different types. Like if you're talking. Um uh, it, it depends. It varies as you get closer to the event, too, because um, sometimes, you know, say say we have a, say on day seven, you know, seven, a seven-day forecast, you know, on the seventh day you see 30% chance of of rain or 30% chance of snow. Um, and that could be because they're, they're, they're looking at some of the models, you know, we could see, you know, Rain or snow that day, but the confidence isn't real high. There could be a few reasons for that because, say, like I told you about those multiple different computer models, dozens of computer models we have. Sure. That could be because you, the as time gets closer, you know, you might have like say, I talk about storm track being important. Like maybe one model has the storm track going northeast through Minnesota. And another one has it coming northeast straight through Lower Michigan. Another has it going northeast through Ohio. You know, it's the same general feel, but as far as what you're going to see, it's a huge difference. <laughs> you know, the, there's, all the oh, models sure. have a storm. All the models have a storm, but they all take it, you know, in some cases vastly different. I mean, it's, the track is generally the same. It's to the northeast, but the actual who it passes through is different. Um, same thing it could also be you also could have sometimes – things happen where the the systems slow down like well we we had a storm that looks like it's coming and originally we thought it was going to be on you know friday but then two or three days out you say hey it's that session and come through thursday so so you could have some of it is you know you're just your uncertainty in like if we have you know a dozen models we we look at and they all say the storm's going to take this path and the uh and it's going to become on this day. Then, then we have higher confidence that that's actually what's going to happen. If we, we actually one of the things we look at is something, something called a spaghetti plot, where it's, it's basically you have different model solutions all thrown on one map. And if you say, like, if sometimes it just looks like a big pile of spaghetti on a plate, and if you see that, you, your confidence in, in the solution one solution is not very good. But if all those lines are all you know tightly clustered, then you're like, hey, that's pretty good. I feel pretty good about that. Um, but back to your original question. So the, the so they're kind of going back a little closer. I mean, the, the percentage could could mean you know it could be like just a product a confidence level of of it occurring at that point. And as you get closer, you could be talking you know say say you're looking at a forecast for say a one county, um, you know thirty percent chance for that county could mean we're expecting thirty percent coverage. So uh, so 30% of the county is going to see measurable rainfall. Right. And, and that's especially true, like, when you're talking, like, th- that's especially true with, say, thunderstorms or lake effect snow, where, if you, you know, say thunderstorms, you, you could have thunder all around you, but at your place it, it might not rain. And, and unfortunately, the, the way people perceive it, you know, 
the only there's only two correct answers. If it doesn't precipitate, it should have been a zero percent chance. <laughs> and if it does precipitate, it should have been a hundred percent chance. So you know, every, every, it's, everything is local. It's all again. You, but and there's times where we look, you know, like you see the lake effect snow reports. If those if those snow bands lock in on a specific area, like you could have. 25% of a county getting seven, eight, nine inches of snow, and then, you know, half the county getting nothing. And so it wasn't necessarily a bad forecast to say, you know, 60 or 70% chance uh, or something like that because some area really did get a lot, but then some areas got nothing. So what's the best way to – that's a challenge for us, the best way to – and so that's why we've tried to go more towards graphical depictions of things so we can actually, like for Lake Effect, for instance, we can actually get some of that in there where you can see, like, okay, just this portion of the county is really looking like they're going to get it and the rest of it won't be too bad. Um, so that's that's something that using graphics as opposed to just words helps us get our point across a little better. Sure. Now, I've been, I've been in, uh, watching now uh, when you send out your uh, morning graphic on Twitter just to kind of set mm-hmm. the stage for the day and maybe tease, tease the week a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I, I like those a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not on Twitter very much, but it, it is a, a nice way to pick up that kind of at a glance stuff. Um, to just, you know, here's a, a quick five second picture that's going to set stage for us. Right. So before we uh before we sign off Pat um what's the what's the best pe- best way for folks you know we alluded to Twitter obviously you've got your website um is the website the preferred consumption point um no website is you know that that's the, all I mean basically all our stuff is on there that you you could want to find it's it's Sometimes you have uh, maybe not the easiest time finding it, and then also, you know, uh, Twitter and Facebook. We also put a lot of stuff out on those as well. But the mo- if you're looking, you know, the, the most data is going to be on the website. Um, Twitter and and Facebook is going to be more selective what, what goes out. Um, so there won't. It's not as much of it. You're not going to see a, a steady a feed of information. But on but on you know the fa- the web page, you you actually have to know where to look for some of the stuff because sometimes it's not always. You know, anytime you go to a web page with lots of different tabs and buttons and you know, stuff, kind of layers you have to go through to sometimes get what you want. And you can, if you find sure. something you like to use a lot, you, you can bookmark that for for later use. Um, but yeah, you can. Again, we res- we respond to you know people ask questions on Twitter, or Facebook, and you know we can respond to you that way. Um, and then yeah, our, I kind of like your. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm so good. No, I see. I, I, there's a phone number at the bottom of our web page too. If people can call to get access to a forecast that way. I kind of like that um, hour by hour, 48 hour um, chart uh, that you uh, have. It's kind of uh, in the lower right hand corner of the the web page, and it's. Uh, it's nice because you you can get quite a bit of information just at a glance um, to Absolutely. to set your expectations for the day. It's I, I like it a lot. 
Yeah, but I'm a little bit of a data like, geek that way too. So, <laughs> yeah, some people, yeah. you know, the, the fire like for the the hourly like the hourly forecast you're talking about, where you know, it's broken down hour by hour. I mean, I know for instance, like fire people are real concerned. You know, when when's the wind? Because sometimes you know, if you hear the forecast and it says winds are ten to twenty miles per hour with gusts to thirty, okay, you know. Is it going to be that way the whole day? If you look at that hourly forecast, you can see, well, no, we don't expect that to happen until 11 o'clock in the morning. But before, so, like, if they're worried about fire or they want to do a prescribed burn or, the, or something like that, they, they know they have a few hours before things take off. And, or if you could actually see on there, when, when, when do we expect the wind shift to occur, like with a warm front or a cold front coming through, where you can get a better idea to the hour of when that might, that might occur, occur. Or, you know, if, if you have a, if you have a 40% chance or 70% chance of rain in the forecast, if you can see on there, again, we would have, you know, where, where is that more more likely to occur? Is it going to happen in the morning? Is it happen midday? Happen afternoon? You know, that kind of stuff you can find out in some of those hourly forecasts. Awesome. Good stuff. Hey, before we leave, I guess I should have touched on this earlier, and I uh, apologize for not getting to it, but uh, is this, if I'm not mistaken, is it this week um, – Severe Weather Awareness Week. Yes, yes, it is. This is this week is Severe Weather Awareness Week in Michigan. Um, I know, I know us in Marquette think it's a little early for us. I mean, granted, it's been kind of warm here, but uh, we don't see too many thunderstorms in March up here. <laughs> uh, right. But, but it is, it's a good, it, it, it is a good time to, you know, we are coming towards that time of year where the thunderstorms are going to be back in the forecast, and, and thunderstorms are. Uh, Certainly, a potential hazard. I mean, all thunderstorms, even non-severe ones, with the lightning, are, are going to, you know, potentially deadly. So, so we do like to make sure people, you know, we do a test on weather radio on Wednesday uh, with the whole state, um, so people can be ready for that. But you know, it's just kind of good to think about. You know, you know, there's web resources out there. We'll, we we'll, we post some things. Uh, just you know, look at the weather safety. You know, remind yourself. You know, what do I do if there's a severe thunderstorm or you know, what is the difference between a watch and a warning, things like that, where you can just make sure you know know the lingo and, and know the safety rules for severe weather season when it eventually comes. You know, even though we don't have a lot of severe weather in northern Michigan, especially it seems like it's been a lot less lately, the fact that we're such an outdoor recreation-based community up here, um, you really need to know, and you really need to be weather aware, you know, you don't want to be stuck outside when there's thunderstorms in the area, so you need to be aware, you know, because like I said, even the the generic garden variety storms can be deadly with the lightning, so you want to be able to know, if if you're going to have, if you're going to be out and about on a stormy day, you want to, a potentially stormy day, you want to be, you know, keeping a closer eye on things and be ready to get yourself to a safe shelter if you have to. Oh, for sure. There's nothing worse than wading out in the river uh, with a big graphite stick in your hand uh, with uh, thunder and lightning coming. Yeah, I mean, like, if you see, <laughs> like you say, if you're planning to go, you plan to go fishing, or you're going to go out for a hike, or you're going to be out in the woods. You know, if you see, if you have some flexibility, you see one day there's thunderstorms in the forecast, and another day there's not. You know, maybe maybe switch days just to make sure you're not stuck away from a safe shelter. Right on. Perfect. Richard? Any any closing questions or thoughts from you? I don't think I have anything else necessarily uh, other than to say thank you again for uh, helping us out. 
That's Pat, no we've really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah. You're welcome. My my pleasure, and hopefully I answered the <laughs> questions that you were looking for. But uh, again, you certainly check out our, our webpage and our social media. And if you have any questions about weather related things, you know, get a hold of us, and we'll do our best to answer. God, well, yeah, and up here. I'm sorry. Is this next Thursday? Uh, this is this Thursday, so uh, just a few days from now. Oh, so it'll come up on the 26th? Yes. All right. Yes. So, uh, Pat, we'll, uh, we'll make sure to underscore that uh, uh, people can go to the website and uh, sign up for the virtual Skywarn spotter training and... Uh, and get involved. It's it's a lot of fun, and it, it it's it's not a huge time commitment. And you'll you know definitely come away with some some new knowledge and it, and you know new factor too. So we'll look Absolutely. forward to sending like a few that, people your way. <laughs> no, and, it's like, and like I said, you know, part of the it's it's nice that you know you're helping us help your community. So it's kind of like your own little you're part of our public service that way. You're, you're part of the team, and and it's important. Well, great, and and for our listeners in other locations, and uh, we are fortunate enough to have folks uh, subscribe to us that are outside the immediate area. All all of the weather service um, stations or locations uh, have similar information, don't they, Pat? So people can find out how Correct. they can get involved locally. Right. Yeah. If if you go to uh, if you go to the, the weather dot gov gov um, that is, that'll be the, the National Weather Service. That's our like the parent National Weather Service that's main page, and you can just click on your location there. It'll take you directly to your local weather service office if you don't know happen to know where that one is. And all the pages, our whole page should look fairly similar. There's a little bit of difference from place to place, but you know each office, like I mentioned, we have northern Michigan, northern lower, and eastern upper Michigan is our responsibility. But each office has their own area of responsibility, and they will provide similar types of information for that. I mean, like obviously we're not going to be issuing any kind of hurricane statements or outlooks up here right. but I mean if you're if you, but if it, but if but if you had a if you were at a coastal site along the gulf or the atlantic you certainly would would you know that kind of information would be there as well um so yeah there's the forecaster you know tailored to the local and to the local area um and we all have you know some areas don't get any snow. Some areas get lots of snow. Some areas don't get much severe weather. Some areas get lots of severe weather. So I mean, you'll see things a little differently everywhere. But we all have the same goal, which is you know to keep people safe. Awesome, Pat. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to to speak with us. We've we've really enjoyed it, and uh, I hope our listeners will uh, seek out uh, the appropriate web page for their locale and uh, get involved. Well, there we go. Uh, fun conversation with Pat. I hope everybody uh, came away learning a little something. And again, go hit that webpage. Uh, there are a lot of cool programs. Uh, certain locales are having uh, uh, junior scientists events and uh, just a, a, a neat way to pick up uh, some new knowledge. So there you have it. Uh, until next time, everybody be well. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Backcast Podcast.